Welcome to the Nanalyze podcast. We are a boutique media and research firm specializing in disruptive innovation. Visit nanalyze.com for more details. In my younger years, I spent most of my money on booze, gambling, fast cars, and faster women, and the rest of it I wasted. Now, there's certainly some truth to that old joke uh, that can be found in all of us, though today's younger investors seem to be doing more gambling than investing. So here at Natalize, we look at reducing risk and teach people how to become smarter investors. Today's agenda is to review REITs, that stands for Real Estate Investment Trusts, review these as an asset class. We're going to define our criteria for selecting good REITs to invest in. We're going to vet Vici or Vici properties for red flags and decide if it's a company we'd ever invest in or not. Now, REITs are relatively new as a sector. So MSCI and S&P 500 created the 11th sector in 2016. Fortunately, I wasn't there for that and all the support calls that I'm sure ensued as a result, but they broke out real estate companies and REITs from the financials sector. And you can see here, now this is rather dated information from 2016, but it gives you some idea of the equity market capitalization for the 11 sectors out there now. What's surprising is that over the past 25 years, so since 1999, REITs have grown from $9 billion in market cap to more than a trillion dollars. And that certainly uh, spawned the creation of that new sector. But what that has also done is uh, consequently allowed for a lot more new investment opportunities to open up. So here you can see the GICS classification for real estate, how it's broken down there into two categories. You see 6010 at the top and 6020 at the bottom. So 6020 would be real estate management and develop development, while 6010 is the uh, traditional REITs. And I've highlighted some here that we've talked about before. Diversified REITs are certainly desirable. You have industrial REITs, office REITs, and retail. So those are typically the sort of REITs we cover. We've also looked at data center REITs, though we didn't find those to be very compelling. But you can see there are quite a few niches here. Now, when we look to select REITs to invest in, we're always investing with a never-sell time horizon. And, of course, income is the primary return driver when we're investing for dividend growth. So consistently increasing income, or what they call dividend growth, helps offset inflation. So it's very important that we see that attribute with any REIT that we invest in. That track record of increasing dividends shows the financial discipline you need to continue increasing those dividends over time. Now, one thing that we look at for all REITs is, uh, and all companies for that matter, is revenue concentration risk. So for REITs, that would be tenant concentration risk. And what happens there is it can create unexpected problems because of something called company-specific risk. That's not anything that you can hedge against. So any company that's in your portfolio can have problems that just blindside everyone that nobody sees coming and they can wreak havoc. So that's why 
Uh, we always preach the importance of diversification and look no further than Medical Properties Trust. I'm sure some of you are aware of this name. Uh, a fair number of you come around asking us what we think about this, and I took a brief look at it, and it was such a mess, I just didn't even want to get involved. But I pulled together this slide. Here you can see in 2018 that this firm, Stewart, was acknowledged as a concentration risk for medical properties trust. Here you can say, we reduced Stewart concentration to 30% from 39%. So they've acknowledged that risk. And this other recent statement says, information about Stewart's finances have been elusive. So it's very important to understand your clients. And it doesn't appear that they did that very well here. And the problem they've ran into today is that um, this Stewart entity and the hospitals, I think there's nine hospitals associated with them, can't pay their rent. So it's still 23% of medical properties trusts rent. You can see that in the table here. And as a result, this REIT is now yielding 27%. Can you say uh, yield trap? And certainly we've talked about that. I think in on the last video we did on dividend ETFs talked about the biggest mistake investors make, which is to look at high yields as something that's very desirable. And it certainly isn't in a lot of cases, this being one. So REITs we've covered, uh, beginner's best REITs. This is a video that you'll want to start at if you're new to REITs. The most recent piece we did is on realty income. That's one of three REITs we're holding. And then, of course, the data center REITs video I talked about isn't something we find compelling, though you might find that video to be interesting. Now, let's talk about vetting Vici. So for whatever reason, a lot of subscribers have asked us about Vici uh, over last year and this year. I'm not sure why, but um, it's also a popular stock when it comes to what investors are searching for. So things we're interested in looking at, dividend track record, of course, the growth of that dividend over time, Client concentration risk, we talked about why that's so important. And we want to consider things like macroeconomic pressures on whatever niche they happen to be dabbling in. So when we look at their dividend durability and growth, we see a track record here for, what, six years. This is the annualized cash dividend per share. It's growing at around 8%. So that's nice, healthy growth. And what's notable here is that there isn't any history beyond this. So that's the first thing that we know it. So this is a very young entity. And when we look at what they do, the first thing we do is pull up their client list. Well, look here, two clients account for more than 70% of their annualized cash rent. That's Caesars and MGM. So anybody from the States or even people from outside the States would probably recognize those brands as being very large casinos. And that leads to the origin story of Vici, which starts with this article that says, Caesars puts largest unit into bankruptcy. So that's not a good start. And Judge OK's routine motions, and they split the Caesars entity into a REIT and a operational uh, entity that's traded today. And uh, those steps allowed them to eliminate almost $10 billion in debt, I think, um, I think 20% of investors felt they were screwed, whilst 80% of their investors agreed to this deal. Uh, they emerged from bankruptcy. It talks about how at that time, in 2015, they had $23 billion in long-term debt, highest in the casino industry. Well, when you look at Caesars today, doesn't look like much has changed. So I just took this from Yahoo Finance. You can see this is a $10 billion company with 
over $25 billion in debt. That's a lot. It's Vici's largest client, accounting for 39% of the revenues. And you look at the assets backing up that debt, they got $15 billion in goodwill. So this balance sheet doesn't look very good to us. And that's why it's very important to monitor if you're holding uh, Vici as an investor to monitor their key clients. Or you can just look to credit rating agencies that will do that for you. And the bulls will point to Vici diversifying. And of course, that's correct. They are. But that's somewhat of a double-edged sword, as Fitch tells us. So they talk about the casino exposure and say that counterparty risk is prominent due to the company's material tenant concentration with Caesars and MGM. That's what we just pointed out. Uh, they also say that uh, lease restructuring or concessions, so problems uh, likely would not stem from single property weakness, so that's good, but they would only occur if overall operator performance was meaningfully affected. So let's hope that Caesars and MGM don't have any problems, that Caesars doesn't have the sorts of problems they ran into before with all that debt. And it says here, in addition, casino properties are unlike other asset types given their size, strategic importance, I guess that's just referring to the fact that um, people always need to gamble and regulatory barriers to entry. So that's a formidable moat. Now, what's happening is that Vici is now expanding into non-casino exposure and their recent investments, and this is from Fitch, uh, with Canyon Ranch and Kalahari and Cabot, depart from that dynamic in terms of size, strategic importance, and regulatory barriers, barriers to entry. So these operators that they're getting into bed with now, that they're expanding their operation with, may see increased cyclicality compared to gaming operations, which is a key risk that Fitch has identified. It says, however, the deals improve tenant diversification, uh, which, again, going back to that double-edged sword comment is a good thing. It says, additionally, non-gaming investment represents a growth opportunity at a time where favorable larger gaming transactions may be harder to come by. So, uh, like other REITs, perhaps uh, Realty Income would be another example, it's becoming more and more difficult to find growth. So they say, Fitch says, uh, they believe Vici's investments in non-gaming uh, have merit. However, despite historically sound underwriting, risks remain. So pay attention to what Fitch has to say. Now, our take is that customer concentration risk needs to be minimized here. Um, as it gets minimized, the quality of what they're expanding into needs to be monitored. So the agencies should be able to do this. Now, growth is starting out good, but it's not good enough a track record for us to consider this. Re We'd never look past these risks and hope for the best. That's not something that we do. This wouldn't be one of the best REITs that we've looked at. Now, Vici investors should pay close attention to what credit agencies like Fitch or Moody's have to say. You can go out and just read the reports. Think about whether this represents the best REIT opportunity out there. I have The REITs I've looked at are the ones that we've invested in, I believe, are all better opportunities than this. I um, hope that the dividend growth continues that they've been seeing uh, as this new name sets out establishing a meaningful track record. So provided Vici can keep increasing their dividends, we'll take another look 18 years from now. That's when they'll have uh, at least 25 years of consecutive dividend increases. And when you're able to do that, it's a very big accomplishment. For example, look at Realty Income. They've managed to not only pay a dividend, 
but increase it for 30 years. That's a remarkable accomplishment. And that sort of financial discipline is going to help you sleep well at night as you see those dividend checks coming in more and more every year that help offset the cost of inflation. So I put up another video here you might find interesting that we did recently on realty income. Again, a REIT we're holding. Make sure to subscribe to our channel because we're putting out a lot of videos on uh, related topics such as dividend growth and tech investing. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time to watch this today. Thank you for listening to the Nanalyze podcast. If you found this information useful, please share this episode with a friend. This helps us to continue to provide thorough research for you. Want more research like this? Want to know what we're invested in and what stocks we're avoiding? Head to nanalyze.com and consider becoming a premium annual subscriber to get access to premium articles, webinars, and our extensive tech stock catalog. Thank you for your time.